the the test is again going back is people are ready to spend money if mm. they're saying i'm ready to give you a check if you can give me that and um or it this is again an enterprise way of doing things right so in, in the consumer world slightly different they may not pay for it but it's, they are ready to use it and 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 you know lot of people are and they are ready to recommend to the friends and and do it uh, you you know you're hitting a sweet spot there right so there's different nuances but boils down to you have to really address a product market fit very early on and it's okay to take time because if you build something the market is not ready that's going to cost you years in 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 a lost r&d investment and other things mm All right everybody welcome and I am so excited today uh for having this interview because uh, who I have in my front virtually is none other than Balaji he is my friend we have worked together in past uh when I was in my programming roles and I have worked closely in uh, some of the initiatives with him and then I have seen him grow uh, as an incredible entrepreneur uh starting one startup to another startup and uh the thing i love about him is is uh is his humility uh, after uh, you know all the success he has he's so humble uh, every time i message and ask for help he's already available uh you know always available for his friends so that is the thing i love about him and that is the reason i have him here because uh, i want to bring on people who represent something they have um you know it's not the success that matters how you get successful that matters so welcome balaji uh, and thank you for being here thank you manpreet thank you it's it's a pleasure um it's a pleasure to work with you uh, congratulations on your new initiative it's amazing um what you're doing that bringing the community together and and building assets that can help everybody so incredible to see uh, and incredible to work with you and incredible to see this growth as well mm-hmm. thank you so we'll dive right into it because i know balaji's schedule is very tight and he has to jump uh, quickly after uh, this recording so let's start with your uh, upbringing your journey so far you know um, share with us how and you were raised where you were born and you know yeah. we've been on your journey so far absolutely absolutely uh, absolutely so uh, again thanks for the opportunity to share my story uh i was born in india and i was born in a southern part of india in a state called tamil nadu uh, i was born there um spent my initial childhood there um and then my dad um got a got transferred he was in the in the central government role he was working for department of telecom in indian government and he he got transferred to the capital delhi and and then that's when i moved very young when i was around 8 uh, i moved to to uh, delhi uh, complete transformation because you your language and and everything is very different and you know so you're going into a school where you don't even understand what people are talking about and in that way um, I, i was you know I was born and raised talking some other language and, and the entire environment was different uh, it was a little unnerving initially but you know as kids i think we are all adaptable and i think we adapt fairly quickly and uh, uh, so my and my siblings we all adapted fairly quickly and i grew up in delhi and enjoyed delhi so i grew up all my my schooling my my colleges were all in north india and uh, 
So yeah, even though I look South Indian a little bit, but I, I sometimes talk and, and but and but that gave a very different perspective, right? So a different perspective of appreciation of how diverse India is um, in terms of culture and how diverse India is in terms of everything it does, right? And it's so much variations within the same country. And we always go and um, go back and forth during summer holidays. My, my summer holidays will go on, uh, or every other holidays will go this long train back from Delhi to South India, to Chennai and other places, and uh, got an appreciation of the all the uh, you know variations of states that come in between. And so, in sense, you you get a better sense of geography. Uh, I would say yeah. with those trips. Uh, so, but it gives a very different perspective of growing uh, appreciation of that and. Uh, and I did my engineering and did my postgrad MBA uh, in India, and uh, and then had an opportunity to come to US through a job with Infosys, uh, which was my first, uh, uh, probably my second gift after my MBA. <clears throat> and uh, we had a customer called Apple at that time, which is fairly growing. Um, they were setting up retail stores and. Uh, uh, part of my team's job was to help Apple expand retail. Uh, they were just setting up retail stores in the in the U.S. <clears throat> and they were expanding that to other countries. Um, it was one of the best times in the Valley because Apple was growing, exploding. And this was um, when you are part of Apple, um, you know, in the atrium, they would go and do keynotes. Um, and, and so you'd have Steve Jobs come in and, and everybody in the company is just, engrossed in those keynotes and that was the time they launched iPod and then then after, soon after that they launched the iPhone so but um, it was a magical time in Apple it was fairly growing fast and everybody was really excited to to do that contribute so even though we belong to Infosys we you know it, it was really exciting to work for Apple and being part of the company and we were we had badges Apple badges and and you know we were pretty much part of the Apple culture as part of it so very exciting times to spend in Infosys. Um, then I, I switched off from Infosys and joined IBM, um, uh, which was a really good <clears throat> experience of working with a global company. But soon realized that, hey, I was not meant for a, a large matrix organization. So my IBM journey was fairly short, like a year and a half, and didn't see a fit. <clears throat> of, but at that point, I kind of realized in my career that, uh, me and and I'm just not made for working through a a, a large in, in some cases bureaucratic organizations and as part of it maybe it was impatience in me and 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 wanting to do things more faster and and and, and less um, less hindrances of doing things um, but I didn't see myself you know working 20 25 years 30 years in a large public org and working through the change and having that patience to do that. Uh, in general, that's that impatience has drawn me into doing many things. So so I ended up on a whim, you know, talking to to um, somebody who my wife has met in the plane. Uh, and that, that, that person was running a company, uh, was at least heading uh, some portion of the company called Skillnet. And so he said, hey, let's chat. So went on a whim. Talked and liked um, the fact that it was a smaller company, and given I was an IBM, that's the direction I was going. Is, is I either would do a small company or do a startup, and 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 so I ended up on a whim joining in in sales, and I never done sales before, but um, as part of consulting work. But this is something I directly I wanted to do, and say, hey, this is a good opportunity. No idea what sales was about, no idea what it entails, um, but it was a fun ride with Skillnet. Uh, 
and that's when I got to meet you uh, as mm. well. All right, with skill that. Uh, but you always had this notion of, hey, I got to, you know, start a company at some point in time. And 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 fortunately, at in 2011, I started working, and 2012, I started working uh, with another gentleman uh, who's my current co-founder in the startup. I met him through. Uh, through the folks at Skillnet. So, uh, and uh, we explored a few ideas, few ideas took off. And one of the ideas was around big data and security. Again, no idea on that part of it. Uh, but uh, but I felt like this is the right time for me to go and jump out. So I, I moved away from Skillnet and then from a comfortable job, which was just fairly comfortable, Skillnet was doing okay, mm-hmm. uh, to, to go and do a startup. And uh, uh, I know we were we were in the right place, right time at that time, and it was around big data and security. And big data kind of exploded, was exploding at that time. And from marketing, you know, this is 2013, uh, and we were soon acquired in in 2014 by another big data company called Hortonworks. Um, I joined the company there and uh, led security and governance. But we always felt, you know, we haven't fully solved the problem and. Um, Privacy is a take two of that and of mm-hmm. solving that security problem and in a much broader way. Uh, so we are five years in in the company, um, you know, growing. The market is growing, um, but it's fun. It's fun uh, being <clears throat> being you know taking a company from a piece of paper now to fairly a two hundred person plus organization today, and we're growing as part of it. Um, different challenges and uh, as. As you have kids, and and as well in every stage of your kid, it's it's a different challenge, and that mm-hmm. you come. Um, but that's what you sign up for, and that's what you sign up for. Right? So I enjoy uh, being part of the company building process. I enjoy the fact, uh, enjoy the fact of being able to contribute uh, every day if you need to, um, and it's a learning, and you learn so much every day. Uh, but it also, it's 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 enormous time, and and it's mm-hmm. um, it's not. Uh, uh, looking back, you always think about maybe you should have stuck to a nine to five job at some point, and that's one one way of looking at things. But but you know, I think in startups you're you're creating value, you're creating something every day, and and but there are so many things that's not in your control uh, that gotta have a perspective on saying, hey, there are things you can control and do it, but you know, some things may pan up, some things may not, and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what you always have to uh, have a perspective on. So that's my journey so far. So uh, being in the U.S. for about, what, 17 years now in the Bay Area, uh, have two kids, uh, 13 and 10, growing. Um, I'm glad they are back in school after COVID. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I know we, we, we're blessed, blessed with uh, being part of good uh, friends, um, uh, good co-workers throughout the way as part of it. So that's what I've been uh, always say. I'm fortunate to be in midst of really good people throughout my journey. Mm, amazing. That's, I, there are parts about your journey I didn't know because we never went that far in there. Uh, but it's amazing. There are so many things there. Um, you know, for the listeners who do not know about the geographic um, and the cultural aspects of India, India is a country where your culture changes every eight kilometers, the language, the food, um, everything about the culture changes. So I can imagine going from, you know, all the way from the south to all the way to the north. It's it's a cultural shock in itself. But um, it's, I mean, if I look at the differences between in India and US in a way, even though we have such a diverse culture, 
um, it's unnerving, but it's also easier to settle. Like we don't have the similar um, challenges that U.S. has in terms of the culture and you move from state to state. Yep. So coming back to your um, job, um, I didn't know you didn't have any sales background. So, um, uh, and it was never apparent to anybody in Skillnet, or at least to myself. I remember the first time, uh, or not first time, but one of the meetings we were in, and this is where I knew you were, you know, different than the other people that I had met in sales. Um, there was an account you were working with, and there was a budget allocated by a customer and you know one of the managers your managers wanted to spend it all but you wanted to just spend enough to get the work done but also save something and there was a little bit of argument but this showed that you wanted to do it right way from the get-go it wasn't yeah. uh, you know there so how, yeah. how was it the sales for you like did you have to invest in self-learning to learn yeah yeah and i think it's a great question um no i think part of my background uh, when i was part of infosys and like you're always customer facing right so in, apple was a customer for infosys mm. and you know, um, you're working in apple offices so you always are looking at and and in having the customer up front and working very closely with the customer, mm. right? It's not like you're sitting back in the office. Uh, so you learn a lot of, I mean, I, even when you go from school to, to first jobs and uh, you learn a lot about the soft skills, right? The soft skills of how do you work with a customer? How do you understand that person as a human and <clears throat> try to think from their perspective, right? So try to mm. understand what they are looking at, why they are saying what they're saying. And, and I think that's an, important attribute for any customer facing role that you have is to have that appreciation have that understanding of you can go into a room but if you instantly can understand what the person is thinking about and, and their journey you have a better uh, way of having a conversation right and having with that and that's something uh, i learned part of the consulting role right so which is is is, is, is not just only delivering that but you are in meetings, you are, you are going back and forth, um, and sometimes emotions are high, like you really need to understand and be a calm face at some point and say, hey, all right, no, let's, let's always part of that. And the part of the other part of this is, you know, how do you solve a problem, right? And that's, that's something you pick it up is you, you pick a problem and dissect it and say, hey, let's, let's look at this one first and let's look at this one. You know, how do you break a bigger problem into smaller components? And those are some things I picked in school and in, in the in the initial part of work is the the interfacing the kind of problem solving approaches <clears throat> and knowing that you can't solve everything on day one. How do you put together a plan and how do you dissect bigger things into smaller things and have everybody focus on it? Uh, is something you pick it up and and that was fairly useful in my journey and when I joined Skillnet is where. The role is is where you're bringing a partner like someone like Oracle and and customer and you it's a three way conversation together. Mm. But a lot of the uh, nuances are on how do you work and interface with customers really help right and and also understanding um, why a customer is certainly doing certain things in their technology journey they are making certain decisions what their needs are. Um, in, in even if you're front facing in sales, you really need to understand why the customer is doing certain things. And if you are able to have an appreciation of that, and that's immensely valuable. 
and then you have to then figure out how do you move the needle forward, right? How do you bring everybody together and, and bring different parties together to move the needle forward? In this case, move the needle forward to go and win a deal. And, and it's constantly, you know, you have to solve the problem, break it into chunks and, and then do that. So I would say those approaches really helped and set a foundation, even though I was not title wise, did not have a sales role, but the attributes of those things that uh, I initially worked with uh, when I was at Infosys really helped. Even prior to my schooling in MBA and others really helps you have that approaches of problem solving and other parts of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can relate to it. Like uh, when you just look at sales as a sales and it, it can be daunting, but when you look at from the angle of, you know, problem solving, you're listening to the problem and solving the problem. And if you solve the problem, sales just become the byproduct of it. Exactly. So, and I think you also uh, touched upon a very uh, a big point, like dissecting problems, you know, bigger problems into smaller because Sometimes we just overwhelm ourselves with those bigger problems. So, yep, yep. yep. Um, question: um, um, <laughs> Since you were in Apple, and so uh, I'm going back, but and you mentioned you were able to, you know, sit in the keynotes and see. So you uh, basically uh, were able to uh, listen to Steve Jobs in person and you know hear the keynotes. How was the experience? Yeah, I would say um, in, in some places you can do something in physical, um, yeah. in, in other things, what they would do is they beam the keynotes in every building and yeah. Yeah. part of that. So I've been part of both. Um, no, it's it's an amazing, amazing experience. Right? Yeah. So, and and, uh, and, and as, as now I'm, uh, we are building the company, the, the energy levels that Apple had at that time was the sheer excitement everybody had was, was immense, right? And then... Yeah sheer excitement pervaded through the organization. Mm -hmm. It was, you feel like, Hey, we're creating something magical that people love. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. and, uh, even though you're doing, you're not directly maybe involved in designing an iPhone or anything, even being part of an organization, even people we will interact who are, uh, in it organizations or Apple, you could see and feel the excitement and, and mm -hmm. it, because, um, this was early, um, you know, early two thousands, Apple was in trouble. So people who were gone through the dot-com days and now seeing the newer version of Apple, they were extremely excited about that. So you can talk to the old timers and, and say, hey, like things were really not that great in the late 90s and early 2000s. Now, you know, it's starting to come. And, and this was when iPod was probably one of the first uh, uh, breakout device that, that Steve purely led, right? So, and that was magic. Mm -hmm. And after that came the series of ones like iPhones and other things. But um, but there's also a part of what I always learned from someone like Steve. It's, it's a part of storytelling, right? So mm, it's, yeah. it's essentially, um, and it's it's in a way you can get, and for the period of 45, one hour or whatever that keynote is, uh, you would hear, I mean, we, I've been in places where we are, you stuck to a projector and a monitor and, and, and everybody in the company is looking at it and dropping everything and listening to talk, to listen to Steve, right? So, and saying, Hey, something is going to come. He's going to have some cool stuff in, in, in the keynote and it's always happens. Right. And, and you'll always keep something at the end and say, Hey, one more thing. And it, it was a famous thing that he had. So 
storytelling and, and the art of doing that is, is something every leader can learn about from, from Steve Jobs. It was fairly magical. For somebody who's maybe not had a professional training or <clears throat> CEO, but the way he would tell the story here, he can bind an audience together is, is amazing. Yeah, I remember the keynote uh, speak of his uh, iPhone launch. I saw it on uh, YouTube back then, but it was amazing. And um, so, uh, you know, having that sort of uh, uh, exposure to, you know, the environment uh, and the Apple, that culture, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, the reason everybody was excited, it was a part of the culture and uh, uh, that comes from the leadership itself. Um, uh, are those things from your early exposure in leadership, how to run the companies, are some of those lessons you were able to take into your startups? Yes. Um, so when, when you do a, I mean, in my, my journey, I always picked up on, on, on previous experience, a certain bit of always experience shapes you as a person and your, your perspective and, and, mm. and the, the journey in Apple definitely helped me at least uh, from really understanding how do you bring the company together um, and create that excitement part of it. Um, mm. How do you, how do you um, create exciting products? Right. And, and that can potentially change the world. Uh, it's not Apple was a consumer product, you know, in our world, yeah. in my world, at least we've been in the enterprise space. It's not, a, I call it apples to apples here, yeah. <laughs> um, but you learn from, from, you know, the way they think about it, the way they do things, um, you know, the way they approach things is, is certainly an art to that part of it. There's an art to um, delivering a story, right? So, and, and there's an art to enthralling an audience um, and, uh, um, in, in our roles, we are always uh, in front of an audience, right? Whether it's your customers, whether it's investors, whether it's internal teams. Uh, uh, leadership is always about, you know, telling, uh, you have to tell a story over and over again and, and, and connect with the audience, right? So those are things I certainly picked it up. And obviously, you know, the journey after that, I, I, the journey with SkillNet was really a foundational part, right? So how do you, how do we, um, again, the sales part and the journey that we did um, uh, together at Skillnet part of it was certainly also helped us part of it. So I would say every bit of my career um, has helped in, in, in the journey forward, right? You pick uh, some pieces, add it up. It, it, you don't realize it, but it adds up to you, your way of thought process, your way of thinking. Hmm. When did you know that, like, you know, um, you wanted to do your own startup in Skillnet? Like th there was pivotal moments because I know, uh, I remember when we used to set for teas and sometimes you used to say, okay, I want to be CEO. I want to open a company. And in, and there used to be jokes around that, but, um, you know, I know there was a drive in you, like people could see that you wanted to do, uh, there, there was something driving you to go that direction. Um, uh, is there, you know, could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I think it's the journey started even in my earlier days, like and go back to even IBM days, right? So where um, part of, and again, this is all uh, things coming together, but part of things of when I came to US, I came to Bay Area, right? mm. and, and, and you see a, a level of energy in Bay Area, which is different than than, uh, than any other place in the country. So we asked to travel to other places, but Bay Area was especially, you know, there's always the notion of you can go and create your own thing, right? And mm. 
whether it's realistic or not, the people have this concept of they can change the world and, and through mm -hmm. technology. Right. So, and I see it for firsthand in, in Apple of technology could change, um, change, uh, completely change the world if you need to. Right. So, and it's a driver of force in driving new things. So, so I was fascinated by that. I was fascinated by that journey. Um, so when, even when I was in IBM, um, one of the reasons I probably left Arabian early was because I had made up my mind that my journey is going to be uh, leading up to my own, right? So mm -hmm. the start part of it. And and I don't see a path of being in a corporate. So why I would go and waste time. Mm -hmm. So when the call from Skillnet came in, I, I felt like, hey, you know, having a small company experience would help, right? So being scrappy and 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 also having that experience of sales would help because mm. at the end of the startup, you got to go and sell and, and, and other part. So I haven't done a sales role before that. So I thought it would be end up being good. Um, I ended up spending five and a half years in, in Skillnet, uh, which in hindsight, yeah, so if uh, it's always going to be, but things just flew by and, and I enjoyed, truly enjoyed the journey and, and, and enjoy the people like you and, and have a long, I, I would say a lifelong relationship now mm. with the people I've worked with. Um, and, but I always had this notion that I'm going to do a startup, right? So, which is, um, which was a, the step I'm going to end up with. Uh, the journey in Skillnet definitely helped um, in, in how, again, problem solving and working with people, working with customers, working with partners, selling uh, in sometimes very difficult scenarios and losing, right? So we have lost deals and, and you learn from that and why you lose deals as well. So that kind of set up for a good journey uh, in the startup. Um, so in the startup world, it's fairly, in my philosophy, you need two roles in startup, right? So you, you either need to build a product or build a service and, and you, need, you need to sell. And if the one person can do both, then you don't need anybody. You can go and start on your own, right? Yeah. But if you don't, and in my case, I don't know how to build. Uh, I could know how to sell um, and, and go to the market. So was fortunate to go and work with um, Meet Bosco, who's my current co-founder. And, and uh, again, the story on Bosco is he, I met through Anurag, who was, who was my boss at Skillnet. And so, so he and Bosco and Anurag were common friends. They're, the kids went together. So we just went through a common connection and, you know, and we built upon that. So, but having met Bosco and I think he had arrived at a situation where he had very common goals of, he had already done a startup and sold it to Oracle, but he was mm. looking at second startup. So the things kind of click and align and say, hey, we, it's the right time. You know, I have a team now. Right? So I have a team, somebody, I, I was... I can go into the market, but I need somebody who can help put together. And, and Bosco is one of the most amazing technical minds I've ever worked with. And he had, um, you know, really good uh, solutions for some of the problems we are seeing in the enterprise market, especially on security. And so we brought together uh, and then just click and, and then, you know, make a hard decision to, to venture out of a very comfortable job, uh, mm. which was what it was at some point and to say, into an unknown called startup, and but but that journey again was was a five six year planning uh, part of it, um, where you, know, you always had in the back of the mind to got to do it, um, and it's part attributable to being in the Bay Area. I would assume, like if I was in any other place, I may not have that big of a drive. Um, then, yeah. in you're fascinated in the Bay Area, looking at 
know, you're going and driving by a Google office or a Facebook office and you, you, you're fascinated by their journeys or how small they were started in a, in a garage or, or a dorm room. And now they're massive companies and public companies. And so, you know, Bay Area has proof points around you know, building at scale. Uh, but you know, what you learn as what I'm doing startups is, you know, you know there's this like nine out of the 10 startups don't make it. Make it. And, yeah. and, or probably 98% don't make it, right? So it's an incredibly high risk game. And so while you think about Google and Facebook, but they are outliers and there's a there's a huge uh, part of the um, curve that uh, is in the between part of it. But, you know, again, I've been fortunate in, in the journey so far uh, with my first startup. We were in a good place, good time, and we had an early exit. And the second startup, the marketing starting to pick up. So we're always blissful of that, but it's always a long journey. And, and that's mm-hmm. what I keep telling everybody who wants to do a startup is, is have a very long vision of things and be prepared for a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are, there are so many <clears throat> nuggets in there. Uh, uh, and what I took away from uh, that was uh, that it's important to surround yourself with the like-minded people like, you know, uh, and you never know which one will click, but uh, you don't make relationship because it will click, but you make relationship because you want to be with like-minded and people looking forward. And then, you know, being in surroundings there where people are doing good work. Like if you're surrounded by people who are just doing nine to five and that's all they care, and you, you know, you're less likely to think about doing something um, great in your life. Uh, so um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, 98% of startups fail, which is a fact. It's not like you're making up, but what would you think, uh, are the reasons they fail after, you know, successfully done um, two startups? Is it idea? Is it sales? Is it, you know, what is it that you really need to have to make, you know, be successful um, in doing startups? Yeah, I, I think every, every, it's a great question. And this is something, you know, I've learned um, when you go in my first startup, I probably did not have awareness of all of that. And, mm. and but, uh, since then, I've spent time talking to other CEOs, looking at our own perspectives, and, and uh, there are three things you. There are three risks that obviously can kill a startup, right? And I always mm-hmm. put as three ones where there's one thing called market risk. Right? So market risk is uh, you're bringing a product that market doesn't want. Uh, you're too early into the market, too late in the market. Uh, it's not the absolute need, and so mm-hmm. timing matters. And timing matters in many things. So many of the challenges many startups fail is they've been too early into the market and they're bringing in a concept which market is probably five ten years away from doing that and you know and we have seen this from um, um you know just take delivery from which Do- uh, doordash and instacart has and you know we had peapod and others during dot-com days doing you know web-based you know mm-hmm. you, you can do a delivery of groceries right so it's a simple concept it's just that the infrastructure and, and the timing was not there. The imperatives were people are not on phones at that point, right? So in a lot of cases, timing matters. And and yeah, and there are ways to mitigate that. The ways to do that is to go and spend time with customers to really understand mm-hmm. what their need is versus and what many people will come with. And, and I have done the mistake many times is you go with an approach saying, this is what I feel. And, and versus what the market needs. And that's that's a cardinal mistake because 
what you feel may not be what the market wants. And, and, and so you have to be adaptable. You have to be, uh, uh, you have to really listen and, and, and sometimes be humble and say, yes, I am totally wrong. And this is what the market really needs. Yeah. So market risk is a big risk, right? So if bringing early, bringing something the market doesn't want, I think that's the cardinal sin everybody makes in, in especially in the Valley where we have really smart technology people who will go and say, hey, I have an idea. And, 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 and because that's idea has come from their experience or what their thought process is, mm -hmm. but they haven't done the enough research in the market, really understood the market or the customer audience to say, what do you really care? What do you really want? And, and, mm -hmm. and build something which brings that delight, right? So in, in everything you do, it has to be a, a incredible benefit for whether you're in the enterprise or the customer to, to do that part. Uh, and there's a lot of trial and error in, in, in that process. So, and you have to give yourself enough time. And so what happens is people will give six months and, and they'll bring something, build something, take it to the market. It fails. They say, "Hey, I'm not built for startup," and 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 that's hard, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you, it's hard to time. A, it's hard to go and predict what the customer market really needs because you have to invest a lot of energy, and then you have to time it. Right? So the market conditions have to be. Um, and so, like in the case of delivery and other things, like Uber, for example, took off after phones, but the concept has existed of you know how do you go and and ask for cars in, in, in that part, but that really took off when you had a device in people's hand with GPS and, yes. and, and everything aligned on that, right? So you, in sometimes you have to align uh, around the market conditions. And, and so if you, the way startups should think about it, they ought to think about what the current trends are and how they're going to shape up in the next few years and make a bet on that, those trends. Mm. And that comes from intimate knowledge, intimate research part of it. So I would say market risk is the biggest risk people have, right? So the second risk is what's called financial risk, which is you're going to run out of money. Right? Yeah. Um, it's because you, you know, you don't, the revenue is hard and whether you are consumer or enterprise startup, but it, your expenses are front loaded. Right? So you're spending a lot of money on people you're paying and, and then building something cool but you have to invest and, and so you have to really balance out in many companies, the financial risk is as you run out of money at some point. And, and, you know, that can be mitigated by investments and, and being judicious about how you spend your money, but financial risk is second thing. The third is why I call it execution risk is many startups die by suicide is they would do bad things or I wouldn't say bad, but there are two things which are contrary and counterintuitive in, in the hindsight. But in the moment of things, you you make a bet on product, you make a bet on the market, you make a bet on some things which can prove fatal. And and if you don't look at the fundamentals. So uh, if the market is right, if the, you've got money, many of the companies have folded because, you know, they just didn't execute. And as far as we those three risks exist in every startup, every stage. And as part of your journey, you have to go and figure out how to mitigate that risk. That, that I think is a, uh, you know, goal right there for people who are thinking of building startups. One thing um, uh, that comes to mind is, you know, is there a thing like when you're doing startup, you're small, uh, timing on when you borrow, like sometimes if you borrow or get investment too early and you have too much cash flow, it it can also have a negative 
impact on yeah. the execution is higher, right? Yeah, yeah. Too much money can lead to bad habits, right? So, <laughs> and, and, and so you have to be judicious about, you know, even though you mitigate the financial risk, are you are you investing in the right part and be be frugal, right? So, you know, the famous thing is, you know, Jeff Bezos when Amazon when even if they're public and all, like a, a, they did not have free food, free snacks, and you know they were very frugal. frugal about you know delivering every penny back to the customer. Right, mm. so it's it's a deliberate strategy around that part. Doesn't mean you, I mean you have to spend money and you have to sometimes overspend money on, mm. on the right things. And in some cases, it's a capital game. In some markets, it's a capital game. And I would say if you're building an online marketplace. Um, it's a capital game. You have to go and be the number one. So you have to just spend money to become a number one. And some markets are like that. A winner takes all. Mm. That you know, and in some companies, you know, if, if you've seen this with Uber or DoorDashes of the world, like it's a race to who captures the biggest market. And once you yeah. have that, it, it's 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 a self-sustaining thing. And then the winner takes all kind of price. So in those markets, there's no other choice, but you have to raise a lot of money and, and then just go execute. But not all markets are built like that, right? So there are yeah. certain markets where um, the third or the fourth player have come in and, and taken their time and really out-execute at that part of it. So mm-hmm. you have to understand your market. You have to look at past history of those companies and and really have a clear strategy and, and, a, and a plan in mind on how you're going to spend your money. Because if you if you... If you raise money without a plan, uh, then it ends up being, hey, we just want to throw money on certain things and see what works, right? So which is, which is not always a good plan. Uh, so right now, the environment we are in, I think uh, it's a good time to be a startup startup because there is a lot of money floating around. But mm. but sometimes in, in the goes back to dot-com days, um, money also meant that a lot of bad ideas came up, which should not have done in the first place, right? So And so sometimes we get into this bubble where, Every idea is getting funded and, you know, that leads to, you know, bad habits as well. So I think entrepreneurs should be very cognizant of taking very early on money, right? So once you have, you know, gotten a a certain foothold, I mean, you can go and accelerate, but very early on, you can be scrappy, you can be frugal. But doesn't mean you have to bootstrap all the time and you can raise some money to... Because you can bring in some incredible people who are working in an industry and they don't want to work for free, right? So, mm. and so you, can, you can bring in money enough to bring in a really good, solid team and sell and execute on that vision. But you don't, you don't, it doesn't take much to do a startup these days. Right? And yeah. You can be frugal about it. I mean, it's, everything is available in cloud. If you want to build a product, all tools are available. So it's 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 an amazing time for to anybody to do a startup it's very really democratized now and and so you can be anywhere and have access to some capital right? uh, but mm-hmm. also this cautionary tale of taking too much money earlier um so if i am or somebody listening you know who is nine to five like you mentioned it's a right time or very good time to being doing startups and wants to do startups and has an idea how do how do you know whether this idea is good or bad? How do you test? No, I think it's, uh, um, one thing I would say is don't just don't leave your job to go and do a startup, which I've seen in, in many cases. I've done the mistake as well. As well as, is before um, you have to get to a level where there is a, a, a closer to a 
your product market fit, right? So you mm-hmm. won't have a complete fit, but you have a, you're going from a PowerPoint to uh, some assumptions based on data, and those mm-hmm. data is based on initial set of customers. And and if you have to coming to a point where there are you know in in the enterprise world that you have 10, 20 people ready to buy and give a check say, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think money is a very uh, great indicator of priorities and interest, right? So, and in what the the challenge mistake most people do is we'll talk to their friends and, and friends will say, that's an amazing idea and, and as part of it, but you have to really go and talk to a stranger uh, who has a pain point. And, um, and if you're able to convince that person that yeah, they are ready to part ways, they're ready to pay. And if you have, more than 20, let's say a statistically uh, equal in number, you you know that, you know, you are on a path, right? This is a concept that people are ready to pay. This is hitting a pain point. And, and if there are a large number of those people, then then you have a market, right? So, so mm. essentially having some level of a product and a market fit. And that period is incredibly important. And that period is one of the hardest, right? Because mm. you, you have to go and talk to as many people as possible, really test out. And 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 in some cases, not even go with your product, but really understand their pain point and, and say, hey, what's the biggest pain point you have? And so in many cases, some of the largest public companies have started with a very different idea and they quickly pivoted to something the market wanted. And you have to be ready with that, right? So you have, mm-hmm. and the mistake I've done in the past is is I've gone with a concept in mind and I've gone to people and say, well, what do you think about it? But I didn't really ask what their pain point was. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, what are their life? What are they going through? I went and gave my, showed my product concept and said, do you like it or not, right? Which is, I think is a wrong approach, right? I, the, the right approach should be having really going and talking to the person saying, hey, you know, really understanding their pain point and, and what mm. are they going, what are the biggest pain points they have? And then showing a concept saying, hey, I may have something which addresses your core pain point. And, and this is a, and would you be interested to go? So I think my, my recommendation to many startups is, is always that take that market validation fairly seriously. Now, if you are in the industry where you're absolutely in and you you know you have a Rolodex of 50 customers tomorrow that can come and buy. All means do it. In many cases in the Valley, we are technologists and you know we have built technology. We don't have that Rolodex. And so you have to go and build that Rolodex, right? You have to go into LinkedIn and, and start people and say, hey, I want to have coffee and, and you know I want to show you something. Uh, I, I want to talk about something, right? So and not yeah. even show something, right? So it's just, which is a wrong product because if you're already um, asking and feedback on a concept, you're seeding that customer and you, most people will not say bad things. So they are nice people. Yeah. Right? So they say, yeah, it makes sense. Right. But it's a wrong approach, right? They're never going to buy that because yeah, it's not a priority. Right. So unless what people have to understand is, is even though if the concept is good, unless it's an absolute priority or not. So it, the, the test is, again, going back is people are ready to spend money. If mm. they're saying, I'm ready to give you a check, if you can give me that. And, um, or it, this is again, an enterprise way of doing things, right? So in, in the consumer world, slightly different, they may not pay for it, but if 
they are ready to use it and 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 you know a lot of people are and they are ready to recommend to their friends and and do it uh, you you know you're hitting a sweet spot there right so there's different nuances but boils down to you have to really address a product market fit very early on and it's okay to take time because if you build something the market is not ready that's going to cost you years in 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 the lost r&d investment and other things mm amazing amazing uh, i think that's a very valuable um, message there how to test your idea and make sure the money is the indicator if people are ready to pay for that idea you are on the right uh, track um, last question uh, i know we have to run uh, tell us a little bit about provisera and you know what it does what problem it is solving so sure. if somebody is uh interested and then how do that person get in touch with uh, you or somebody in your company yeah absolutely um you know privacy is an exciting journey where journey where uh, we are today we are the intersection of data data analytics and what we call as data governance essentially we help enterprise teams who are looking um for looking to leverage data for analytics ai and ml balance compliance and security and, and with that and and we address help companies address two main questions right so uh what data they have what is sensitive and non sensitive and and that is a hard question for many enterprises because data comes from multiple sources and mm-hmm. and sits in the cloud you really don't know what is sensitive and not as far as yeah. the second question is how do we make sure right people have access to right data only for the right purpose which is around entitlements and authorization uh which is again a hard question a hard part to answer because those controls can exist in variety of databases and applications and you have to stitch all of that together to say somebody accessing the data can only see this data um and, and and that's something we are going and helping with providing them a platform which gives them visibility on the data but also helps them manage policies of access at a pretty fine grain level and we can take those policies and enforce on any part of the data infrastructure whether it's databases with a storage layer so the net result is let's say if you if the customers are using snowflake that um they can govern these rules in one place and they can set mm-hmm. those rules and if you if users are accessing snowflake they only have access to the data they're supposed to and yeah. so in net effect of that is customers can leverage snowflake and leverage the cloud to do more analytics at the same time they can go and say hey we are adhering to a the data governance or compliance or a security mandate and so so that's something we help with so we help companies balance that mandates with the need to use data and and we're excited to work with companies across every industry so to get in touch is to our website privacyra.com p r i v a c r a.com and you know leave your contact information and uh, we'll be in getting touch but you're solving a fundamental problem you're help, helping customers in their data journey amazing amazing and i'll uh, you know we'll put uh, the company link in the episode on show notes uh, but uh, that's amazing and in in a nutshell you know if you are um, if you want to have uh, security around your data or how that data is accessed there is the problem that privacy is solving and you know i'm just compressing for yep. you meant but uh, if no, that's perfect. uh has that requirement of um, you know especially when you are accessing data for example we are in europe and one of the challenges i saw the company 
when they wanted to hire people working in US doing yep. some engineering work, they always were mandated. They had they could not do that work in US because they could not prove that I was federated properly and those guide, you know, those um, uh, structure was there to support so that data is secure going out of the country and yet mandated by the laws of this country and that country. So yep. amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for this um, time. It went quick. I learned so much about your journey and there was such, uh, uh, you know, good information. I am sure anybody who's wanting to do a startup or already doing startup can learn a lot from your journey yep. and i wish you all the luck and i know you know you're gonna do great things ahead also no i appreciate again super appreciative of the time um and thank you for the opportunity to talk to you and 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 uh, share my my journey as well I appreciate that so i mean fantastic knowing you're really excited about this new path you're taking my friend all right thank you see you all right thanks a lot appreciate it all right i hope you enjoyed the show as much as i did and got some valuable nuggets out of it if you liked it there are other shows you can watch they're exactly what you need and i ask you to like comment subscribe let me know what you thought of the show uh, really i want to hear from you firsthand what you felt what you liked what you didn't like so thank you and see you around